0: Hey bums, wait here. We record these episodes weeks and sometimes even months in advance, which allows us to produce them as safely and sustainably as possible and gives me time to edit them. Unfortunately, that means sometimes the information presented in them is outdated. The episode you're about to hear was recorded on November 21st, 2020. On December 1st, 2020, actually just a few hours after we published our Last Stand episode talking about him, uh, the actor Elliot Page, who you will know from Juno, The Umbrella Academy, and Heavy Rain, came out as transgender and started using he, him, and they, them pronouns. All of us here at Cinema Bums are huge fans of Elliot Page for his work continually pushing the film and television industry forward, and for his work continually being good in these often awful X-Men movies. We had a lot of discussion internally about what to do with this episode, if we should re-record it in its entirety, or edit out the sections where we talk about Elliot, who we love in this movie, and we decided rather to leave the audio in its original form, where you will hear incorrect pronouns and names attributed to Elliot. We apologize sincerely for that. We recommend that anyone who has questions about transgender life visit GLAD at glaad.org, as well as, per Elliot's own recommendation, visiting and supporting Transanta and The Trans Lifeline. You will also notice this episode is longer than usual. It was, in its unedited form, a whopping three hours long, so I have decided to make it a supersized New Year's special at a mere two hours. Rest assured, the podcast will be back to its normal 90 minutes next week. That's all. Thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year's, and please enjoy. out the oven it's cinema bums i'm wade and i'm emmett cinema bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises one each week to try and track how the storytelling changes over time today we are continuing our miniseries x23 about fox's x-men films we will fully spoil today's film but we will not spoil any future entries in the series emmett happy new year Happy New Year! <laughs> I'm thankful to be here with you. Uh-huh. Thankful for our podcast and for our listeners. Oh, very for thankful for sticking with us through another year. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a good one. In part because today we are joined by a special guest. He is a musician, composer, and poet, perhaps best known to our audience. For being the showrunner behind HBO Max's upcoming hundred million dollars six episode miniseries talk show about famous C list Batman villain the Condiment King, <laughs> entitled "Time to Relish and Catch Up," please welcome Zane Holloman! <laughs>
1: Woo! Hello. Thank you. Thank you. That's Thank you for being here. It's a project I'm very passionate about.
0: How's it been? Uh, it's been good. It's been good. Zane, what is your previous experience?
2: <laughs> <laughs> are you experienced
1: uh my previous experience (laughs) with these films uh i have seen all of them except the new mutants and dark phoenix except the two most recent ones most of them i watched uh several years ago with uh with our mother. Uh, we we sat down, and we watched them, and uh, I thought they were, like, cool enough. I don't know. I was in, like, would have been late middle school, early high school. I wasn't really thinking very critically uh, about anything at that point. But um, I watched them, and uh, recently... In light of this podcast happening, I went back and rewatched First Class in preparation for this. Mm. I have I'm sort of familiar with the comics. I've always been more into DC, but I've had a lot of friends who are really into them. And uh, at one point, I tried to read Avengers vs. X Men and got very bored very <laughs> early on and stopped reading it. But I've I think I've read some stuff just sort of in the period where I was I like didn't know objectivity and comics existed and just kind of got the first thing I saw at a con. Mm. Um, So I've read some uh, and I've been thinking more about the series recently, but
0: do you want to talk about that?
1: I was thinking um, because in preparation of the knowing I was going to be on this podcast, I was sort of like, Oh, it's the X-Men movies. Like, uh, cool. I guess I'll watch those. And it sort of wasn't more than that. (laughs) Um, Like in my head, they're just kind of like B rate superhero movies. Um, it's charitable. But I I was sort of thinking and I kind of put together a lot of things from listening to a lot of podcasts and reading from a lot of storytellers. I sort of had this thought. I think there is what I describe as maybe an open secret about the X-Men series, which is that every or maybe more of like a generational divide. Um Because for anyone like me who sort of grew up past the 90s and the 2000s, X-Men is like an old series. It's like Mm -hmm. a series that's kind of interesting and has some cool historical stuff, but it isn't the Avengers and it isn't like Batman. It isn't sort of the big, cool superheroes that like we have movies about now. But for everyone who grew up in the 90s, it's like the most sort of foundational comic book. And I was thinking about this um, because X Men, of course, didn't start in the '90s. Started in, I think, the '50s was '60s, '60s, but yeah, yeah, '60s. Um, but the '90s saw sort of the animated TV show and mm-hmm. an excellent run of the comics. Um,
0: yeah, all the Claremont stuff is the
1: '90s. Yeah, yeah, and then going into the movie, the thing that's like different about the X Men is they're sort of, I think, an interesting parallel to like the Fantastic Four because they are like a family, sort of. Um, which is the cool thing about the Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. But they're also... They're misfits, and they're kind of together just because they're similar and because they're, like, students together, not because they're, like... They necessarily all like each other. You have this thing of, like, all of sort of the teenage school, like, teen drama movie uh, with the X-Men... And then you also have all of the idea of them being mutants and being sort of reviled by society and seen as different. And all of the, like, the metaphor for adolescence and the metaphor for uh, the, like, queer metaphor that you've talked about. The thing that got me thinking about this is because every comic book writer that I really like now, whenever they talk about the books they grew up reading, they always say X-Men. And they only say X-Men. Like, Tom King, Jeff Johns, Matty Myers, who isn't a comic book writer, but... I listen to her voice a lot on her podcast. Scott Snyder. Whenever you go on, like, any comic podcast and they talk about sort of current writers, they always say that they grew up, like, reading X-Men. And I think if you see the, like, big cultural events, right in the 90s, you have Harry Potter, which is a school of, like, Mm -hmm, gifted individuals more recently there's uh even like my hero academia i mean more directly there's like miss peregrine's home for peculiar children Mm -hmm. which is just x-men and there's sort of this idea of like school of superheroes who people don't like or who like society doesn't like has i think become like almost a trope even more recently um doom patrol and like umbrella academy uh, which also ellen page in this Hmm. movie in umbrella academy oh yeah Mm-hmm. Uh, which is interesting. But I think um, Gerard Way is another person who talks about sort of growing up with the X-Men. But I think it's interesting because with this podcast, you we've talked a lot about like the X-Men setting up the MCU, sort of being like like walking so that the MCU could run. Mm-hmm. And in thinking about that, it's interesting thinking about the X-Men as just a series of comics and a series of characters, sort of setting up this idea, which I'm sure had been done before, but this idea of both like a school and um mutants are people who aren't liked by others sort of setting up like the next two decades of kind of popular young adult storytelling
2: talked some about that but i feel like that's a a very eloquent kind of laying out of like all of the really valuable stuff about the comics especially and like their place I don't know. Thank you for sharing that. It feels like a much clearer conversation about it than the ones that we've been having.
0: I think you're right that there is that generational divide and that all of like the... People who are 10 to 20 years older than us and are creating things right now are, like, really inspired Mm. by that run.
2: Also, interesting bringing in the, like, Miss Peregrine and stuff like that. Like, things that are not, like, exactly superhero, but then, like, once you think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, it is. Like, it's just, like, a steampunk superhero. Or, like... It's superhero in a different skin or something. Yeah. Well, the
0: thing about the X-Men 2 is that they're not just
2: superheroes. Right.
0: Like, they have the superhero fighting aspects. And then they yeah. also have, like, the school life, yeah. high school dating aspect. Yeah. Which is, like, part of what really took off in the 90s, too, with, like, the New Mutants, where it was, like, the X-Men have attitude now. Uh-huh. And they're all dating each other. Yeah. You know... Like, that was, like, the big thing. Well, mm. today we are talking about X-Men Days of Future Past. Uh, so this is the second film in the decade's quadrology. <laughs> but it is also a sequel to the original trilogy. And the Wolverine. And the Wolverine. <laughs> it takes place... What? Ha- okay, what happens in this movie... very briefly sum it up is that in a dark in a dark (laughs) (laughs) what happens in this movie (laughs) is that the furthest out in the timeline we have seen things have gone very bad the world is a complete dystopia the remaining x-men are on the run from sentinels and in order to stop this they have to send wolverine back to the past to 1973, where he meets all of the actors from First Class, mm-hmm. decade on from that. And so now we're in the 70s, and this is the, the 70s movie mm-hmm. of the Quadrology. And they have to stop the event that led to the creation of the Sentinels, after which, stop me if this sounds familiar, Wolverine has to go back to the future... <laughs> In order to discover that the change they made there changed a lot of things in the future, um I think that's a pretty
2: succinct description of what happens as did far you
1: as... was that joke in your notes did you did you prepare no, that it's not, wow. it's not wow.
2: no. off the cuff uh this one was directed by
0: Brian singer. He's back after in the interim <laughs> <laughs> perhaps it, he's back <laughs> 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 but, a shout of fear. As though this is... Uh, just, just keeps coming. The Nightmare on Elm Street Part 18. <laughs> oh, my God. Part 16. Uh, <laughs> in the interim, he directed Superman Returns, Valkyrie, oh, and the complete really? garbage Jack the Giant Slayer. Oh, I forgot Wait, about that Anyone movie. remember the thing Featuring film? Ewan McGregor, right? Mm-hmm. And Nicholas Holt as the main character. Oh, yeah. Nicholas Holt of
2: this movie. How could I? Valkyrie forget? is a fantastic film.
0: Yeah, Valkyrie is really good. Superman Returns is fine. As fine as any of the other movies. Any of the other Brian Singer movies. Written by Simon Kinberg, mm-hmm. we remember mm-hmm. from co-writing The Last Stand. Music by John Ottman, back from X2. Running two hours and 11 minutes. A budget of $220 million, which means it would need about $440 million to break even for the studio. Boys. This thing made $746 million. Oh, yeah, baby. This movie was a hit. It was a hit. Uh, It's the third highest grossing in the series. It is the highest X-Men movie by a lot. The top two are the two Deadpool films. Oh, my God. Um, That makes sense. So this is, like, by far the most financially successful x-men movie i would say that it's the only x-men movie at least i would say it's the only modern x-men movie that broke into the mainstream Hmm. like the only movie after the original trilogy that was Mm. a part of like the actual mainstream not just like people who like superhero Hmm. movies this is
1: uh actually one of my friends has told me that this is she had never seen any of the x-men movies or any superhero movies and this was the first one that she saw um just because it was i guess the most popular yeah looking
0: at the numbers a lot of people saw this who didn't see any other x-men movies i know we talk about a different a bunch of different mile markers for like how successful a film is Mm -hmm. it's kind of so like breaking even or making a profit is like what was important to the studio Mm -hmm. but i would say like in general it's like a hundred million dollars is like when a movie sort of becomes real Mm -hmm. any superhero movie we're going to talk about is going to make a hundred million dollars if it doesn't then it's in gigantic trouble. Right. But now post-Avengers we're in the era where it's like making a billion dollars is when you become like a mega hit. Like anything like Avengers Jurassic World, mm-hmm. Star Wars, any like mega hit, yeah. everyone is going to the movies to see this. You have to make make a billion dollars. And this is the closest any of these movies come to making $1, a yeah. billion dollars. It's also the it was also the highest budget in the series. It was just slightly ahead of The Last Stand and uh, Dark Phoenix, huh. which we haven't seen yet. It is also the second highest reviewed in the series. Okay. The highest reviewed is Logan. All right. Which has a 77 on Metacritic. This movie has a 75 on Metacritic.
3: Hot dog.
0: Compared to X2's 68 and First Class's 65. Wow. This is also the first movie in the series to be nominated for an Oscar. Really? For Best Visual Effects. It was released May 23rd, 2014. All
2: right. Have I mean, any thoughts about the movies of 2014? Yes, I have some thoughts about the movies of 2014. So, top-grossing films of 2014: Transformers: Age of Extinction. I, th- I don't know which one that is. I feel like I've already said uh, Transformers: is Age that of the Extinction. Cybernetic dinosaurs? Probably. I think, no, they're I think that's dinosaurs probably well four. Well like dinosaurs. Is
1: that? Does that have Mark Wahlberg? Uh, in it? Sure. It, that's like the soft reboot, right? Yep. It, it may be. Or is there's like fallen? fallen, fallen kingdom? kingdom is that i thought that was <laughs> i think that's Jurassic, that's Jurassic World, World. <laughs> isn't there also like a there's, there's one with the last
0: night
2: yeah Transformers Age of Extinction which we think is probably a four maybe a five sorry that was yeah. the highest grossing highest gross okay
0: so we must be doing worldwide
2: yeah probably uh The Hobbit Battle of Five Armies Oh. Well. that's a number three of the adata- adaptation of a single book but number two on the list number two on the list yeah absolutely ins- <laughs> just listen to this list for a second <laughs> before you start freaking out because it's wild Okay, you guys so can got- see Wade's face but it's something to behold because it's the third one because it's the conclusion everybody has to see it
0: today you could go outside and ask every person you see if they have seen a Hobbit movie and they would all tell you no
2: that's almost certainly true but there's an element to that where they'd be protecting their pride.
0: There's also, like, the Transformers is number one because it's big in China. Who was watching The Hobbit in China? Maybe... How did it get to number two? Maybe people in China really like The Is Hobbit. it just because it was the Christmas movie? It was a Christmas oh, movie. Is, oh, is
1: it? Oh. Whatever's in
0: that Christmas lot is, like, always. The, we're also <laughs> full-on in 3D mode at this point. Oh, which yeah. Which is a thing oh. that has passed us by. This This X-Men film was the first x-men film to be filmed in 3d i may have seen it
1: in 3d
2: i probably did
0: i'm sure i saw the hobbit in 3d oh god we saw
1: i remember seeing that in imax 3d Mm. i think the weird frame rate too did the later ones was it just the first one that had the frame rate just the second one isn't it no no it's at least the first two if not all three of them that have a real
2: or you were talking about the hobbits yes they have a really bizarre frame rate and they and they jump between frame rates when they go to the one like shot and the the, like the one shot that's just very clearly a gopro shot right they didn't do anything to color correct
0: yeah, they filmed the um, the river sequence with the grub pro. Yeah. It, so this obvious. is a
2: Hobbit podcast. This is now a Hobbit. The Hobbit uh, doesn't know. Just so you know, if you've never read The Hobbit, go read The Hobbit and never watch the films. Guardians of the Galaxy is number three. Wow. Uh, a fantastic movie. You've, you've so very fantastic. Good. It, right? Okay. okay. We're going to
0: talk about the Superhero movies. I'm surprised that beat the other Marvel Cinematic Universe, though.
2: Yes. And my, it must have been on word of mouth it must have been it's it is certainly a more enjoyable movie yeah, than the other was... MCU movie of this of this year. I mean like I think Winter Soldier is a good movie, but I don't think it's as good as Guardians of the Galaxy or as fun to watch or as much of a anyone could watch this and like it. Next number 4, Maleficent, which I believe <laughs> Okay, look.
0: Uh, uh that <laughs> I believe that is a movie that I know people
2: like, but I'm still shocked that it's above other movies that came out this year. Have you ever seen it? No. Have you? I've also it? never seen. Never it. seen it. I've never seen it. The Hunger Games: Mockingjay Part One is in uh, uh, you know, okay. number five brutal. slot. Weird to think about Jennifer
0: Lawrence giving these two performances in the same year, because she feels so much older. In that movie than she does in this. In Mockingjay? Yeah. Her performance in Mockingjay Part 1 is incredible. That movie is just like so brutal to watch. Like it's like just nothing but a downer. I That's think the I, movie that starts and ends with her crying alone in a hallway.
2: I, and I think I've, I've only seen that once. But that is like just the unpleasant parts of the third book, right? It's like just the misery parts yeah. of the third book. Uh, it's, it's a good one. I don't know. I think those those movies would be an interesting revisit now. Especially because of like what, like the whole point of why she wrote those books, like the things, the reasons why she wrote those books have gotten so much worse. But the movies that they made of the books may have helped contribute to the problem that the book was like addressing. So (laughs) I don't know. I I think there's a lot. A real fight club situation. That's true. (laughs) Interesting. In the number six, we've got X-Men Days of Future Past. Okay. Uh, Way to go. Yeah, way to go. Right behind that, we've got Captain America Winter Soldier. You've seen it?
0: Yeah, I've seen it. It's great. Uh, It's wild to me that it's this far down the list for what a seminal classic it is considered today. Hmm. It's, like, high up there for me, but I know a lot of people consider it the best of the MCU. And it's just wild to me that it made less than Guardians and less than X-Men. Yeah. I guess it was, like, probably not a lot of people saw the first Captain America 'Cause it was a World War One Indiana Jones adventure and it was mm-hmm. before the actual Avengers came out, so people didn't really know. But I am surprised the Avengers bump could like push Iron Man Three to like well over a billion in twenty thirteen and yet mm. couldn't get enough people out for that movie.
2: It does seem strange, especially but I also think that this is one where like even though I like this movie, my generalized gripe about the MCU does like major, major apply here. Which is that To get full appreciation of that film and, like, the big stuff that happens in that film, you have to have a working knowledge of the past couple films and, like, the general context, which you don't have to have, like I said, for Guardians of the Galaxy. You go into Guardians with zero context and it's still a great movie. You go into this with zero context and the hugest twist in maybe the whole MCU just doesn't really make sense. Like, it doesn't play to you very well. I speak from experience because when I saw this, I hadn't seen almost any of the other MCU except for, like, the first Avengers. So I was like, okay. But, like,
1: now thinking back to it, I'm like, oh, no, that's, like, really big.
0: I mean, that's
2: the exact same with this
0: movie, too.
1: Probably much worse in this movie. Because I think that movie at least sets up the basic, sort of, the role of the... Yeah. the Thing that gets changed.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. The twist to that movie applies to that movie. It hmm. just like has effects on everything you've seen before. Mm-hmm. But like the twist to this movie is the other movies. Hmm. But it is yes. wild. It is yeah. wild that in this year we have like the two superhero movies with the biggest twist that like change everything you've seen before. Yeah. I guess the other. I guess a difference is that this one is clearly a decision they made. Captain America one is one they were seeding throughout. Mm, but mm-hmm. it is still...
2: Then we've got Dawn of Planet of the Apes.
0: Wow, is that... Oh. That's two?
2: Of the new run? I'm not sure. That's
0: not three, because three came out on my birthday in 2017, which is why I remember it.
2: So it's probably two.
0: It is two. Our buddy, Matt Reeves, yeah. um, off of Cloverfield, let the right mm. one in. Now he's in the Batman hot seat.
3: Oh, jeez. So. Yeah. Friend of the show, Matt Reeves. Mm-hmm. Friend of the, of the show, Matt Reeves.
0: Reeves. We keep trying to get him on, but... um. Got a busy schedule. He said he's holding on for Popeye when we do the Popeye movies.
2: Okay. Incredible. I hope we actually do the Popeye movies. pod Eye. pod Eye. Okay. Oh, don't get my hopes up for something that's not going to happen. The Amazing Spider Man 2 comes in at number nine, (laughs) which I believe is the second Andrew Garfield Spider Man. Yeah, that is correct. And also the last Andrew Garfield Spider Man. I'm going to drop a little knowledge on you here. Okay. Mark Webb. Uh huh.
0: Directed 500 Spider. Days of Summer uh-huh. for Fox, uh-huh. uh, and had a contract with them after that movie did good to like do his next movies with Fox, uh-huh. then got brought over to Sony uh-huh. to do the two amazing Spider-Man films, because they were like, his name's Mark Webb, no one else in the business could possibly do it. <laughs> right. Michael Mann was busy. <laughs> and, um- <laughs> So, in exchange for him breaking contract uh-huh. with Fox to move to Sony at the end of the Amazing Spider-Man Two, Sony had to make the post-credit scene a trailer for Days of Future Past. Whoa! The post-credit scene for the Amazing Spider-Man Two is the scene in this movie where Mystique goes into like the Vietnam War bunker and then. Oh kicks all the guys butts and then flies out that's super cool that scene is interesting and even
2: still on video release that's that's, uh
0: that's the postcard scene for that movie
2: uh number 10 is our buddy christopher nolan friend of the pod christopher nolan friend Uh of the pod Uh, with the movie interstellar you might have heard Mm. of it it is the elusive non-sequential film in this list it is the elusive movie which has no prequel nor no sequel and is the only one on this list yeah (laughs) to have that
0: and isn't even really like that because the Nolan films are like are
2: kind of a series the yeah. Nolan film
0: is like you know what to expect from this series yeah, even though they're all independent from each other yeah exactly like they're selling the Christopher Nolan as the franchise they're selling than the idea of the
2: film yeah exactly
0: like nobody was like oh let's go see the Matthew McConaughey Farmer film. Right. Like, let's go see the new Christopher Nolan film.
2: Right. So, (laughs) this year had a couple of other big moments in film. And big moments for the Oscars being terrible. We've got Big Hero 6 wins the Oscar (gasps) for Best Animated Film, which is a great movie. It's an incredible film. Another Marvel movie. Another Marvel film. It beat the Lego movie. Yeah. Um, Okay. Which I don't even think was nominated, but was nominated for awards in other things other than the Oscars, like the Lego movie won best at like BAFTA and other places or something like, but it is the thing that like won when the Lego movie very clearly like should have been nominated for best picture and won that yeah. for being like the greatest film of the whole year. Yeah, I agree. That
0: is an incredible film and it should have been nominated for best picture and yeah. best animator. It was nominated for best song and might have won that yes i will not spoil the lego movie there is a reason that people cite as to why it was not not nominated for best animated film that i suppose could be true but i think it's i think it's messed up that it wasn't nominated for best picture whether or not it was eligible for animated
2: another thing that happened this year another movie i i hesitate to use the word (laughs) film Oh, I, do no. not think, Another oh, no. I do not <laughs> think that friend of the pod, Martin Scorsese, would consider this to be cinema. <laughs> the flick is boyhood. The director is <laughs> Linklater.
0: Oh, no. uh, you don't like Linklater?
2: I like one movie that the man has done.
0: Dazed and Confused?
2: No. Uh, Scanner Darkly. Which oh, is actually a really... I really like that movie. I was going to say I hadn't seen any of his films, but I have seen Scanner Directly. Um But it, he was... Luckily, he got a ton of buzz for making what I think is truly the most boring film of all time, mm-hmm. and a movie that is completely tone deaf, a movie that does not engage with any of the interesting things that it sets up for itself to engage with. And only gets just like into soppy sentimentalism and terrible acting because they did a bad job casting at the very beginning. I also think that all the interesting things about that movie you can see happen over the course of the Harry Potter series if you just wanted to watch an actor grow up over the course of a bunch of film. Oh, sure. Um, luckily, it was beaten for best uh, by Birdman and uh, wow. the director Inarritu. Yeah, um,
0: yeah 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 yeah
2: um uh, who won best director yeah which i don't think you know i like birdman okay i was that year campaigning for anything but boyhood i didn't okay. know you
0: felt so strongly yes um i like whiplash a lot that came out that oh, year that did also oh, come out, that out this year, year. So from eleven to fourteen, I would tweet my year-end lists, mm-hmm. and uh, in twenty eighteen, I deleted my Twitter. Starting in twenty fifteen, I put them on Tumblr, and uh-huh. I also have them on my letterbox now.
1: Pizza central. So
0: pre twenty fifteen, I can't remember what my movie of the year was, but I know that Whiplash was really high up there.
1: Whiplash is a great, cool Greek film. Movie. Interesting, interesting film.
0: Zane, wait, X Men. Days of Future Past. Oh, is that what we're oh, talking about? Oh, that's, uh,
1: <laughs> I feel like I saw that recently. Flop or Bop? Oh, Flop or Bop. I think Bop. I think Bop. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I, um, I went into this really excited, because I remember the first time I saw this movie, I was just like in shock at the comic book stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I was... Well, one, I was like, Sentinels, that's crazy. Like, I've Mm -hmm. seen those in books before. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it being, like, a time travel sci-fi, like, I guess not multiverse, but, like, sort of multiverse movie. Um, And that was all stuff that I hadn't really seen in live-action movies before as a kid and that I was really excited about in comics. So I was super pumped the first time I saw it. Um, I think this time... I was maybe a little less excited, uh, just because I've seen all those things so much now on the screen. Uh, but it was—I think it was still good. I think it's a, a well-crafted movie. I think I do still like First Class more, having just rewatched it. Um, but yeah, I would say I would say Bop, Emmett Flopper Bop. He's done it again, baby. <laughs> oh, no. It's another bop. The
2: bad boy has done it again. <laughs> the bad boy has done it again. Oh, and path. let me just say, this is a perfect moment <laughs> to, to talk about that, to like really engage with the uncomfortable issue that Brian Singer has made another movie that we really like. Uh, so have you all ever heard of a little guy – a little thing called uh, Structuralist Linguistics.
1: <laughs> I think it's important that the audience know Emmett has asked this question at least six <laughs> times in the last 24 hours. So, uh, a little guy named
2: Ferdinand de Saussure, mm. uh, a, I believe, uh, my Swiss, favorite. I believe a Swiss sure. linguist from the turn of the 20th century, basically came up with this idea that said that uh, language is a complex of signs and symbols, and that... The idea and the vocal, like the word or the vocal sounds that you use to make a word are not intrinsically linked with each other. They're only tenuously connected and they affect each other, but they also don't exist apart from each other. Like there's nothing about the word chair that is essentially chairness. As is demonstrated by the fact that multiple different languages have different sounds right. we and symbol structures. We assign meaning to words. Okay. But you also can't, we also couldn't think about chairness without the word for it. Like, it wouldn't be a separate thought from other things without language to separate it. All right? So you need to know this to understand a little guy named Roland Bartes, who is like, this Means this means this decenters basically authorship. I'm not going to walk you through the whole path of how he gets to that conclusion, but he says this decenters authorship. Um, we always in classical criticism we have thought of the author as being the final explanation and the final signifier or this final signified of the signifier of art, so that we say that anything that we are trying to understand in a work of art we can ultimately understand by knowing the biographical information about the artist. Uh, And he says, says, no, the author is not a person. Like the author doesn't exist as a person independent of the work. The author and the work are created at the same time. There's an authorial voice that is created for the sake of the work that then is like only there for the duration of the work itself. And he says that all of the, the work takes like all of, The meaning that happens in a work of art takes place in the mind of the receiver, um, takes place in the sensory and in the mind apparatus. Right. Your experience of the the art happens, basically. So you can't pierce through a work of art to see the creator. There is no creator, there's only the art Mm. and you. And this is really interesting if you think about like Shakespeare's plays. People are always trying to find new biographical information about Shakespeare to further understand and, like, really get Shakespeare's plays. But his argument would be, like, you get Shakespeare's plays by reading them and experiencing them. You don't have to know anything about the man to know your experience of the work. That is something that I offer as a way around (laughs) liking, liking work by problematic authors. The work itself stands on its own. Now, I still don't think that that means that you like, forgive the person, and I still don't think that means that you let that person continue to make work and profit off of it. I think the studios cons- consistently saw things that Brian Singer was doing and saying, that's not a deal breaker for us. We will still hire this guy. And I think those were moral failings on their part. But I think us watching the movie and enjoying it is not inherently wrong because of this idea here
1: yeah i think i like that i (laughs) um you are right in your introduction off air that that is purely semantic (laughs) Um, because i think there are like lots of sides to that and i think maybe the more common side of why it's upsetting to like something like this isn't the moral quandary of just the fact that a person who did bad things made it, mm-hmm. but the fact that you are directly supporting that person by mm. exchanging money for it, sure. by like giving that person your money, which this doesn't address. And also, I think, with the Shakespeare thing, because like that is... I think maybe there are just a lot of different different sides to it. Like I think it's interesting to learn things about Shakespeare, to learn sort of why he wrote the way he did, mm. but maybe not necessarily the actual meaning of the work as an isolated piece of fiction, but just the meaning of the work as a piece of history in his life. So I think maybe uh, we have not solved the problem. (laughs) Um,
3: I think
0: it's not just money you're giving, but also like your time and your opinion. Yeah. Part of the whole guilt you're talking about is the guilt that is connected to you, Mm. that you are the person who is engaging with the material. Right. Because it's like you are the person who is being like, brian singer's films are good actually when nobody wants to talk about brian singer like Mm. everyone knows what he did is horrible like you are the person being like the cosby show is actually really good and like that may be true Mm -hmm. but you're the one saying it like you're the one Mm. making the argument for engaging with the work by this horrible person and i think that's what makes the like guilt of actions that you didn't have any involvement in whatsoever feel person hmm yeah
2: so wait uh-huh flopper bop
0: <laughs> i think it's a bop this was my favorite one when i first saw it i think looking at it now it is so much poorer directed than mm-hmm. first class mm-hmm. like the movie making on display here is pretty much garbage but i think the ambitions that it has And the performances in it, like, there are, like... Mm,
1: Some great performances.
0: Three unbelievably good performances. And then, like, ten awesome performances in this. And I think that that is elevating the material so much. I also think that, like, the third act of this comes together. Like, all of First Class is good to me. And in this one, it, like, kicks in at the end. Mm, mm. And ties everything together in a way I like. Yeah, there's interestingly, like a decent amount of retreading of X2 since this is the first film that Brian Singer has done since X2. Like there are a couple sister scenes we get. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm in agreement that it is a bop. Zane, you said you liked it more than
2: First Class.
0: Or excuse me, you said you like First Class better. Yes, yes. I think I agree with you.
2: Emmett, what? how do you feel? I feel like, I don't know, I would rather watch this movie than First mm-hmm. Class. First Class feels, like, I think First Class is a good movie. But I feel like this movie, like, checks all the X-Men boxes. And I think that's what I like about it. Like, you you get, except for the Danger Room, you get everything that you could want from the X-Men. You Hmm. get mutants working as a team. You get good mutants and bad mutants working as teams in this. In, like, really compelling, cool fight sequences that are more than just punching. Like, and actually using their powers in inventive and cool sorts of ways. Yeah. Both in, like, the military scene where uh, Mystique breaks them out and then through the beginning and end fights that they have, like, protecting around Logan. It's interesting with, like, Wolverine as, like, his power is basically being able to punch harder (laughs) than most other superheroes which I guess is or like and take more punches than most other superheroes but like all of the other x-men have way more interesting powers than he does at least like for battle sequences I think so like I really like that and I also I think this is a movie that like often fools you into thinking that it's a much better movie than it is and I would like I think that the Vietnam stuff plays into that I think it is using the cultural attache Of, like, being a movie about the Vietnam War without ever engaging in any of the stuff about the Vietnam War. It uses that as the background and as, like, the catalyst, but none of it is, like... I don't know. It's not in the forefront. It's not in the forefront. It's interesting that that's going on, but they never really dig... They, like, never dig in, but it's, like, he wants... It's like he wants it to be feel like a Vietnam movie without actually doing any of the hard work of making it a Vietnam movie. Much like he wants it to be a movie about addiction without doing the hard work of making it a movie about addiction. Hmm. Um I think all like the imagery of the needle and like like Professor X is a junkie is is there, but the hard work of what that like actually is 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 not present in the film. I feel like I think James McAvoy's Again, like this is how you get fooled into thinking that it's better than it is. Like McAvoy is doing very good work in those scenes, but it's just it all feels like kind of rushed and like not deeply engaging in that. In that, so in those, like in substances that like are things that have more substance than just the X Men that he like brings in as set decoration rather than as like core tenets of the plot. If that makes right. sense,
1: right? It's like uh Back to the Future one is like a movie about. Your Family, and Back to the Future 2 is a movie about time travel. Mm. Like, this is, a, I feel like, a movie about time travel. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to about, specifically about the relationships.
0: It's like a movie about the X-Men franchise. <laughs> Simon Kinberg said when he sat down to write this, like, the main issue I'm trying to solve is, like, what happens in the X-Men uh, movies now?
1: the cars Mm -hmm. three of x-men movies
0: Uh, would you like to elaborate on that comment
1: uh the that's what the cars three writers said about the cars three is that it's about the state of cars movies
0: oh it is that movie is weirdly meta yeah but it's also by far
2: the best cars movie it's also secretly about eugenics that's cars 2 just kidding (laughs) i'm so sorry okay can we talk about this movie for a second i'd love to (laughs) it opens okay i was, gonna, I, was I, I i don't know i this opens with the mutant holocaust um which i think is an interesting callback to both first class and the original x-men movie which opened with the real holocaust
0: yeah it just kind of have the same shot of like the crowd of people yeah. all walking yeah
2: yeah and it's it's interesting but i also feel like I don't know. I don't know how that, that opening is like. I mean, it's very dark. It definitely sets the tone. But it's also like knowing what territory the X-Men have played in before, it seems that does seem like flippant in a way that you asked earlier if the the other usages of that were, and I don't know.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's the hard dichotomy of X-Men. It didn't feel that way to me. But the hard thing is we know that it's based on real-life struggles, but it is telling <laughs> fictional stories about uh-huh. it. Yeah. Right? So that's always the tough thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It also, I, it is the mutant holocaust, but it reads more just like the end of the world. Yeah. Like it doesn't really yeah. read like two sides with opposing ideals. I mean, you start with the camera going through like the, I believe Empire State Building, which has a giant hole in it. Yeah. Uh, it just feels like there are like machines that have taken over, not mm-hmm. really like a war of ideals or of um, like race. Yeah, this
0: also takes place in 2023, which is the same year that another time travel movie, Avengers Endgame, takes place, Mm. where we see a world depicted that lost 50% of its population. And this world is clearly, like, leagues worse. Yeah. Like, this looks like a world where... I mean, it looks like Terminator. Like, it looks like a world where robots have taken over and everything is horrible for everyone everywhere yeah this is 10 years after the end of the wolverine which was previously the furthest out in the timeline we had seen okay in those 10 years wolverine got metal put back into not his whole body but just his claws 10 years ago prof- the professor and eric had they knew that this was coming Because that's when they come to Wolverine and they're like, something really bad is happening. It's not just about mutants, about the whole world. Uh You need to come with us.
2: And they've been doing this for
0: 10 years now? Well, and then it's 10 years from that, which is like a functioning society to this. Yeah. This is also kind of like the Avengers event movie of the X-Men and they did it real quick but it's kind of as it's like they had the two series and oh, they were like right. oh let's bring them let's together bring them all together let's do the event movie where yeah. the people from the different series you like are like now in the same one and working together yeah, yeah.
1: wait i have timeline stuff yeah. when <laughs> when does x-men 2000 in like continuity when does that take place 2000 oh it's just in the year uh-huh okay so, in X-Men 2000, the Sentinels have been around for 30 years? Well... <laughs> no.
2: No. No. Okay. So, as I understand from but the plot of this in 2006, they're training against the Sentinel in the Danger Room. They're training against a classic, more much more classic-looking Sentinel. Yeah. These are, like, the special Mystique Sentinels that can change shape to adapt. Right. And I feel like that's an advance, for like, much farther advance than the ones that we see in, like, the 1973 scenes in this movie. So...
0: Yeah, and the 70s ones are closer to the ones you've seen in 2006. Yeah. I think that we're supposed to assume that somewhere around 13 is when they... when Trask Industries or whoever figured out, like, how to make... The elite mystique sentinels we see at the end. Because those are the ones, too, that can, like, take on any mutant power. Yeah. Which is a power the old ones don't have. Yeah. So I think that we're supposed to assume that it took them a long time to figure it out. It's like how they had the plans for the Death Star. (laughs) (laughs) And uh attack of the clones and then it took them 23 years to build it yeah and then it took sure. them
2: two days to build a second <laughs> most of a second yeah one. that's
0: true that's true but the hard thing is the first you know yeah we know that the only podcast that was hard to do was the first episode
1: yeah absolutely the rest is yeah, we are killing this hour-long podcast about the hobbit uh, <laughs>
2: the dissolution of this
3: podcast
2: (laughs) I really think that Stephen Fry is putting in great work in this movie what is that a joke about about The Hobbit oh (laughs) the movie that we're talking about (laughs) oh One of the hobbits, anyway. Okay, it smells
0: like we've stepped into the continuity corner. <laughs> yeah, it
2: really does. It or really
0: does. Or as I, I looking around this place, it seems like it's been expanded to the continuity condo
2: now. Re- I mean, really, because now that's like the conversation about this movie. I, but I mean, in in read what you say about the mm. the whole like this is a this is a movie that's about the X Men movies. Yeah. Like how do they work? Yeah. The question of the X Men movies is how the hell does any of this continuity work? Yeah. We've been teased on Magneto and Professor X coming back since two six. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like we're we've been waiting around for at that point eight years to like know what the hell happens after X three. Well I'm just saying you get a taste of it in the Wolverine and then yeah. no nothing more.
0: It is pretty wild that they got like everyone back for this yeah
1: like,
0: being eight years later like they got kelsey Grammer back to put on that beast makeup to make that dad joke they got the dude Best who played colossus movie. back like you could have gotten anyone in the world to do that anyone. and he came in and did it like
2: sean ashmore
0: yeah with the with the beard let's before we look around this continuity condo we should talk about as zane mentioned the hot boy summer of this movie <laughs> Because you've got a lot. You've got Shauna Ashmore with the beard, wh- wh- with the daddy energy now. Mm. You've got... Uh, bucket hat.
1: There's a bucket hat. You've got
0: Nicholas Holt, who <laughs> I did not find attractive. Sorry to Anna in the last one. But in this one, he does have the little bucket hat, and he's got, got the that cute stripe. That jacket. He's got the striped
1: little vest jacket. Little rainbow fanny pack. I feel like not being in the yellow spandex is really great for him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Magneto has the hat. When he... Uh, he- yeah, not the metal hat. But he has just the old the,
0: man hat he always wears in the originals. The old man hat, the, like fedora esque. Hmm. Uh-huh. Pretty good.
1: You've got Professor X with longer hair. Yeah. Uh, pretty disheveled. Fassbender
0: yeah. is very hot in this. In the scene where it's him and Mystique in the phone book, and he's like, "We haven't been this close in quite a while," <laughs> which is also <laughs> about to murder him. I believe that that's how that man would act in that situation. <laughs> that did not read as out of character no, to I me. Agree.
2: Even even William Stryker. sure, sure. Oh, you know, yeah, like, I know he is kind of the villain. He's got
1: but... that. Uh, he's got that smirk. Mm-hmm. You've got Jackman, who
0: is by far the most jacked we've seen him. He's oh, just. Yeah. We do see his butt in the only bit of nudity that's not censored on Disney+. Plus.
2: Yeah, go watch it before they find out.
0: <laughs> Listen to their weekly episode of this podcast. You
2: can see Hugh Jackman's ass.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's also, I don't think we've mentioned him yet, he's really good in this. Yeah, he is. Despite he is excellent. not being good for a few of these in a row, he is like back. mm -hmm.
1: The look that he and professor X share right at the end when they Mm -hmm. realize what has just happened and sort of both like communicate silently that everything is fine and that they did it uh, is just like, I was almost in tears watching that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the ending to this movie, let's work through this together. lads. (laughs) The ending to this movie is that by stopping, Okay
1: okay okay you need some help you need some I'm help in the movie just, like get lost in the dining room
0: okay so there is a timeline a single timeline of all the movies we've seen so far right yes and we've been tracking things on that yes line. yes what year they take place yes what how the character arcs happen yes in this film we hear that on that timeline in 1973 mystique killed boulevard trask played excellently by peter Dinklage, in this film, um, seemingly unrelated to the Trask we see as the head of the national security in X-Men The Last Stand. Mm-hmm. She killed Boulevard Trask in 1973 at the Paris Peace Accords, which led to the creation of the Sentinel program, which led to the world being destroyed. Yes. So they go back and successfully in the nick of time stop mystique from killing trask mm-hmm. and then when wolverine returns to 2023 he finds that everything is different so ca- his characters that have died in the past and stayed dead are now back the status mm-hmm. quo has changed mm-hmm. so are he's we in a teacher ag- are he's a teacher are we in agreement that this is creating a new second timeline
1: a second that erases and replaces the first right
0: yes yeah, so every well the first one is now kind of like memorialized like we remember everything that happened there and so does wolverine but no one else does. no one else does yes but now there is a second one
1: yeah it's a closed loop time travel i believe is the term for it um the same thing as like back to the future uh where because that other world like no one can go back to the first timeline unless you were to go back in time and make a new timeline that was somehow identical to it.
0: So are you saying that that means no future movies in this series could be set in the first timeline? That timeline ceases to exist?
1: Yes, yes. It's like one line, okay. and then you go back to a point on the line. And when you go back, because um, they uh, Ellen Page like explains this at one point early on also in the movie... Uh, They go back to that point, and then um, until the whole time Wolverine is asleep, both are sort of happening at once, and it's two concurrent ones. Right. When he wakes up... The cat's in the box, and you don't know if it's alive or dead, and then he wakes up. When he wakes up, none of the first timeline exists anymore. It's all gone, and everything just goes on from the second altered one.
0: Okay. So what... Do we know about this new timeline? Do we think that first first class happened in this timeline as well?
1: Yes, because first class this is before, before 1973. the events of nineteen seventy three. Okay, so, so the first
3: things- class
2: still happens, and the movies that happened after this in the decades quadralogy are now on the new timeline, occurring yes. after the events of nineteen seventy three in this yes. film. What's confusing me right now, thinking about this is that Wolverine wakes back up in 2023. But according to the logic of this, he was never sent back. He wouldn't wake up in 2023 and not know what the hell was going on. He would just have
1: always known what was going on in that timeline. They do explain that. It works the same way in the Zero Escape game series because they talk about it. Is It's not him being sent back. It's his consciousness from 2023 inhabiting his younger body. So his consciousness, consciousness goes back, and then it comes back, but it doesn't inherit what happened oh, until then, which weird. is why he still has the gap.
2: So does he have double consciousness now? There is something? an
1: unaccounted-for consciousness of the version of him that went from that point where he was in the river uh-huh. to uh, to now. They try to explain the whole time travel at the beginning when... um all of the the young mutants are playing uh, The Binding of Isaac when they're all doing the roguelite thing. Because they say they, like, the thing happens, and then of uh, sentinels come and kill mm-hmm. them all, and then they send one person back, mm-hmm. and then uh, when he warns them, that no longer happened. And so, like, he knows... Yeah but none of the other ones sort of know. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Um, although that is also in... Because he dies in the new timeline. So I guess his consciousness doesn't go back because he doesn't wake up. It doesn't have anywhere to go back to. Do you want... Un- uh, this is confusing Wait, me what? Now. Wolverine? No, in um the... At the very beginning when they're explaining how they're avoiding the Sentinels. Oh, right. They send Bishop back. They send Bishop back.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And then um, Bishop warns them... And then that no longer happens. Yes. But the difference between how that works and how it works later with Wolverine is Bishop doesn't have a body to go back to to wake up in. Because Wolverine goes back and then he wakes up and then he his consciousness it back, comes back to 2023 20, and he sort of doesn't. His consciousness oh. comes back. But Bishop never returns because this he is has what died. i fi-
0: this is what i would speculate happened okay <laughs> i would speculate that she sent uh ellen page kitty pride mm-hmm. sends yes. bishop's consciousness back to an earlier moment so we're in an earlier moment all of that team is at the dinner table bishop is his normal self then all of a sudden he's possessed By his consciousness from the future, he says, they're going to get us. They're going to kill us.
2: Don't go to this spot.
0: Yeah, don't do this. Then that consciousness gets set back. and He turns into his his self that he was 30 seconds before he was inhibited, probably not remembering what happened. Everyone else is like, you just told us what happened. His consciousness goes back to the room and then gets murdered. So that version of him gets murdered. They're accounted
1: for by just dying. And then the younger version comes back. Also,
0: here's a question.
1: Okay. If Wolver... If what?
0: If Wolverine in the present, while he was being beamed back, would have been killed, would then he have just stopped inhabiting the past, and the past version of him
1: would have... Woken up with the gap from the last several days. Not knowing
2: what the hell is going on, which is kind of what happens in the middle when he has the weird like oh
0: right, flash, right, right.
1: yeah like, oh yeah right that does happen yeah forgot that happened yeah so yes I
0: now guess. wait now wait <laughs> is is that what we're seeing is that that 1973 wolverine is briefly there and then
3: 2023
0: yeah. wolverine yeah he comes, comes back yeah exactly that's why i thought it so was 2023
2: out wolverine is just confused no i think 1973 wolverine is back for a second okay and is like who
1: the hell is what is any of this that does kind of make that sense. would
0: kind of make sense that 2023 wolverine is like somewhere in the stream between the two and then he like gets back in so the things we have seen in this timeline going forward uh-huh we've seen first class uh-huh We've seen this movie in Uh in 1973. It ends in 1973. Uh Yes. And then we've seen that they end up in 2023 like those characters. Yes. Yes. Like all of the characters who we see in 2023 live until that point. Mm -hmm. They end up looking like those characters. Mm -hmm. But everything that happened in those middle 50 years, we're unsure of. We're unsure
1: of. All we know is that Wolverine on the plane gave Professor X a one-sentence synopsis of the X-1 through 3 saying, go make a school, remember these three characters. Oh, he does have the, the, like, if
0: you have a son named Marty and he (laughs) messes up the couch, don't be too hard on him.
1: Yeah, yeah. and then going off of that information alone and, like, his own pre-existing motivations, uh, Professor X, like, forms the school and things end up similar." how they were but
2: he had already he'd already he formed, had the formed the schools in first school. right. class so, so he like, just like brings it back forms and, that uh, that version that class yeah the second class uh okay i think we've wrapped it up it was yeah. different no, we have not wrapped up the continuity <laughs> thing oh we wrapped it up was that different part.
0: than i was thinking in my head how the
2: timelines work but that does clear it up Okay, now let's get into a couple other questions about timelines. Okay. Stuff. Because there are a couple outstanding ones. Sure. If Wolverine is taken by Striker, but that Striker is actually Mystique at the end of this movie, does uh-huh. that right. mean that Wolverine never gets metal implants? Well, we're not. We're I would
0: not say sure. at this point, we're not sure because we don't see him yeah, use we don't know. his metal in 2023. We don't know. I would assume that's set up for the sequels, that we're going to see what Mystique does with wolverine now that she's striker all right another thing
2: and this might be a thing for all the quadralogy okay 10 years 10 years between okay you want to know yeah i want to know i want to i've got the list okay sweet wait
0: hand is in the air happens in 1944 the prologue okay okay and then the action takes place in 2000 Mm -hmm. okay x2 2003 question mark last day in 2006 question mark that's the furthest out it could be Mm -hmm. okay it could be before that in The Last End we see 1986 as Jean Gray. Now okay. all of these things are irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Completely irrelevant in the new timeline.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: In Origins, which is Okay. Oh, look at okay, me. let's look at the dates. In Origins, we see Troy Sivan in eighteen forty five. Uh-huh. <laughs> then in nineteen seventy-three, uh-huh. The same, same year that this movie takes place. Wolverine uh, is presumably
1: after because this is in January.
0: Well, let's work through that. Okay. Wolverine and Sabretooth are put on trial for attempted rape of a woman in Vietnam, in Cambodia, though I think. Then Stryker enlists them into his gang of superheroes mm-hmm. who fight crime. Mm-hmm. Then the bulk of that movie takes place in 1979, mm-hmm. six years after this movie. Okay. The but, Wolverine is in 2011. The
2: post credit scene is in t- 2013. But at least the 1979 stuff of the Wolverine Origins movie is...
0: That doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. That's yes. irrelevant. Okay. Correct. And uh, First Class takes place in 1962. So the characters in this movie are 11 years older than they were in First Class. Okay. Yes. So how old do we think... The Professor was definitely very young. Like, I think the Professor yeah. was, like, early 20s at most. In what? In, in first class. In first he's class, in yeah.
2: college.
0: Yeah, he is in college. Although, is that... That's a master's, I think. I think Because they read it as a master's dissertation. Yeah. Well. But let's say he's 24. Okay. Charitably. Uh, yeah, okay. sure. So he would be 35 in this. Okay. Fazbender, we see him as, what, a 10-year-old in 44? Uh, sure. Let's so call So he'd it. be 40, about 40 in this?
2: Yeah. Okay. okay. i buy it mystique mystique's mystique's uh special R- changing ability like mm. gives right. her an ability to look younger
1: or like look whatever she wants there's to. a catch-all there there's a catch-all there so we can because even in first class she gets she becomes older jennifer lawrence when she's in bed with Fassbender. she
0: becomes um uh, rebecca Romijn, right who yes. played her in the yeah the originals right
1: yeah. So okay. there, there's a catch-all for her. But, okay,
2: but Nicholas Holt does not look. How old well, would he have been? What, Twenty, twenty-five. Like he's like what, thirty-five in this? Well, he would have been. Isn't he even younger in that? Isn't he? He's like he's
0: like a working scientist, isn't he? Oh, is he? Like they come to him at a lab or something? Yeah, he's oh, working okay. for the
2: government. Okay, then, I mean yeah, he could
0: be he he could be early twenties too. So he's
2: probably like mid thirties like anyway. Mid thirties. That's the one that I'm like. Or do we really believe it? Because he still looks very much like he's in his 20s. Hmm.
0: Mystique was the one where I'm like, do I believe it? But I guess she does have the out of yeah. that power.
2: Yeah. Okay. Who else do we have? I guess that's it. Or... That's
0: pretty much it, right? They write off a bunch of the first class characters. I don't know how we feel about that. A Banshee, an Angel, Yeah. And Havoc. Uh, Havoc is in this
2: movie. Also doesn't look like he's aged 10 years 11 he, years. 11 years? How old was he? We think he was like maybe 15, 16. Yeah, do you like think, 16. Do we really think he's 27, 27 in this year. movie? He looks like he's in his early 20s at the oldest. So
0: let's work out. Wait.
3: <laughs> okay. <I laughs> the, first, like you,
0: the first question is, do we need to work out this and the Wolverine? Or is that invalidated because of the new timeline Yeah, the
2: Wolverine is completely toast. It like didn't yeah, happen. Yeah, the
0: 79 stuff. But what about the 73 stuff? <sighs> that? It's invalidated going forward, but was it still valid when he transported back there? It's right. also
2: problematic because get this, it's January 1973. Like well, we you have know a what? hard we have a hard date for when this movie Happens. That maybe works, which Let's we should say. say
1: why because we had that conversation off air.
2: Oh yeah, so it's, it's because this takes place around the Paris Accords, which is the official end of U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War. Yes, which um, was in January 1973. January 1973. That's the event that Mystique is going to kill Trask at. Oh, but it doesn't. uh What?
0: Because I was thinking it worked because if it this is in January, he could go to the war, be discharged and join the team within that year like that's plausible that he would join the war after this but this movie starts with the end of the war
2: yeah but i'm saying that what happened was in cambodia in like the part of the war that was happened like i said official end of u.s involvement in the vietnam war not like the I i feel like he was probably involved in the nastiest stuff of it right but the big question is where's saber tooth like, he and Sabretooth, are buddy-buddy, all threw up out until, like, the mid-70s.
0: Sabretooth is at a table waiting for Wolverine to meet him for lunch the whole movie. <laughs> They're best buds. <laughs> they They're are. best buds. He gets they transported are. back. He's forgotten about it. He was just having a nice time with the lady. He uh, wakes up. He was supposed to go meet Sabretooth, and now he's forgotten. Dude, Dude that's is right off screen.
2: He's so pissed at Wolverine the whole time <laughs> in the 1979 timeline. That's why. He's like, bro, you missed our launch date. I did that every Wednesday. <laughs> okay. That nice. Well, I think we've solved it. Okay. <laughs>
0: Is there anything else in the continuity <coughs> condo we need to talk about? Uh, no. Nah, okay. Feel, yeah, I <laughs>
1: This condominium is, uh, has passed its prime.
0: Okay, this is inspired by, based on uh-huh. a run of the comics, uh-huh. uh, the 1981 two-issue run, Days uh-huh. of Future Past, by uh-huh. Chris Claremont and John Byrne, uh, which is where Kitty Pride goes back in time to her younger self to stop Mystique from assassinating senator
2: richard right. kelly and it's kitty pride who goes back in time using the same power and then it's her and wolverine are like the two big characters and mm. like she goes back and finds wolverine and i think together they stop mm. the thing from happening and again she goes back at the end of that series she goes back her consciousness goes back to the future but we stay with the all of the people in the 1980 timeline for them, it's like 1980 and 2013 is the, okay. is the difference. The other thing is in the comics, the 1980 was the contemporary timeline, so they weren't going. Uh, it was someone from the future. It's someone from, back from the future time. is coming oh. back, and all the X Men are like, "Whoa, wild, interesting." And then she goes back, and at the end, we stay in the 80s on that like mainline run, and the X Men are not sure if they have prevented the thing or if they've only like postponed the like catalyzing event for the thing as opposed to this movie which kind of like solves that problem but maybe as we just discussed creates a bunch
1: more continuity problems by doing it fundamentally different types of stories
0: Hmm. zane you said you brought a gift
1: i i do have a surprise uh so this is i'm very excited about this (laughs) it is perhaps not Uh, so we, uh, we have been going through our basement lately at home (laughs) and, uh, we have lots of, uh, lots of exciting things, uh, from, from Wade's childhood. Uh Wade one half of the cinema bums. And in it, I'm just gonna gonna pull it out here. I have I've this never been more struck with composition. Here. This book, is literally my worst nightmare. Which I want <laughs> we we gotta post this on the social media. Uh but I want the audience to know uh it's like a classic composition book um from like middle school, and on the name line it says Wade Holloman, and subject it has <laughs> first it has in pen written and then crossed out X-Men. <laughs> immediately <laughs> beside it, it has written and then also <laughs> crossed out silly songs. <laughs> and then to the right of it, it has Wade written in pencil. And, um, this, I haven't looked at it uh, too extensively. Um, but I believe it was the beginning of a fanzine that Wade started to write about X-Men. Um, there's some spy kids in here too, uh, oh, wow. which is Wade, uh, and our cousins fighting evil. Um, and there's lots of art in here, which is really what I, what I think is good. Here we have X2 Volume 1 Wolverine's Revenge. Just, just the beginning of a little comic here <laughs> that Wade started. Uh, and I believe there are some X-Men sketches throughout here. X3, X-Boys, official movie magazine. <laughs> Just, <laughs> would you look at that? We have Who is original. that? Is that Darth Maul in the I cover? I believe so.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god. There's, um, god. there's endless, endless joy in here. Uh, it says, your world, your rules, your way. 3,000 Pokemon cards.
3: <laughs>
1: there's uh there's so much more in here than that X2 Wolverines Revenge. Let's just let's just just share with. Oh, the that looks like Wolverine. That looks like Wolverine. So uh, I wanted to mention this in light of sort of oh here yeah Professor Xavier. Look at That's that. Look definitely at that. Professor wow, nice. real name yeah. Charles. We've got some stats on all the characters. Wolverine, that's pretty good. Oh, that's really good. <laughs> oh, oh, that's so good. That that is is he's good. so hairy. <laughs> that's the
2: one that's going on the Instagram.
1: Yeah, we should use that as the. Um, you should change the uh, the art for the podcast. <laughs> I think, just in light of talking about how this series has affected us, I uh, I wanted to Ugh. bring some tie to Wade's past and these wow. movies.
0: I do not know how my box of journals made it to the basement, but I'm. <laughs> Literally every
1: day, I wake up in a cold sweat
0: thinking about you all pouring over them.
1: Well, maybe you've come full circle now, because you were making the official X-Men magazine, and now you're producing the official X-Men
0: podcast. That's right. That's right. Fox has got us on the payroll, baby. We called him. We said, we heard about the Disney deal. What does that mean? They said, the podcast is still on, (laughs) boys.
2: So I, I have
1: I, wait 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 a second because I still have great Emmett, notes on Emmett this. has pages and pages to do.
2: Okay, I, just just a, a quick a quick rundown on some of my I mean, some of my notes here that are not like important but are
1: interesting. <laughs> um, Is any of this important? Emmett just important? described
2: what he's about to read as not important. But
0: interesting <laughs> to me.
2: <laughs> I don't know. Uh, isn't that like the whole podcast, as Zane just said. Uh, okay. They look like Super Bowl robots. The sentinels in this. Not like the not like the new scary sentinels, but the nineteen seventy three sentinels yeah. look like the robots from the Super Bowl
1: commercials.
3: There are, that are robots in at at the Super I am unfamiliar. Okay. I thought
1: perhaps they were in older design of the sentinels
2: they look they look like that but they also look a lot like the super bowl robots and i only thought about that because he picks up a whole football field what do you mean what are the super bowl (laughs) (laughs) look at the super bowl robots you will you will get you will get an image (laughs) immediately Do they play football yes they do they play oh
1: wait i maybe know like in like in coming out of the ads yeah and they play the the theme like the horn theme oh i do know what you're talking about yeah also Magneto
2: hates these. Yes. I wanted to mention that the, the Paris Accords full name <laughs> agreement on ending the war and restoring peace in Vietnam, which also sounds to me like a Fiona Apple title. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was pretty funny. That was pretty funny. Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you. Also the, the peace accords, they were negotiated by Henry Kissinger. Um, and, um, the from the North Vietnamese side, Le Duc Tho, I believe is how you pronounce the name, and I did look it up, I, but that was an hour and a half ago at least. <laughs> uh, they, the two of them, were awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Le Duc he did not accept it. Henry Kissinger accepted the Nobel Peace Prize, and many people say that that is when satire died, um, because he. Like, nothing could be more satirical than the man who got us into Vietnam and, like, killed just so many, like, so many innocent people are dead because of him. He won the Nobel Peace Prize. So, a lot of people think that that's kind of, like, the end of satire, which is interesting because I don't think SNL heard about that. This is something that I meant to say when we were talking about the comics. The name of the comics, which we have talked about, like, Days of Future Past being kind of a weird name. yes. Guys, this is my favorite thing and the thing that I've been saving. It comes from the name of a 1967 Moody Blues album called Days of Future Past with the S-S-E-D as opposed to past with a hard T. Oh, okay. Which features the iconic song Nights in White Satin, which, if you've never heard it, listeners of the podcast... I urge you to turn off the podcast immediately (laughs) and go listen to that song and then come back and finish the podcast. It's It's too late. You said
0: said immediately. They don't know what to do. They just turned it They're off. Turned it <laughs> off. They were just like, "Okay, a loyal listener."
2: Well, it's so it's it's incredible. I don't know. It's just—is there
1: any thematic connection, or is it just that? No, they like it's the just record? that John
2: Byrne was like, "Oh, that's a cool name." Yeah, there's plenty
0: of history of that. I think just this last year, um, Joss Whedon wrote X Men WOP.
2: <laughs> You're fired from
0: the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. The box check already <laughs> cleared. Uh,
3: <laughs> what should we
0: even talk about? Yeah. What is? Uh, okay. All right. The DNA opening is back. The DNA opening is. Brian back. Singer has brought the DNA <laughs> opening back with him. It also Was this returns. Really a
3: bop. <laughs>
2: That is a good question. It was, like, on the bar for me. Here's a question. Yeah. Here's a question. Who's the protagonist of this film? Oh, that oh, is a good Oh, I was question. thinking about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Damn near impossible <laughs> to say. I, um... as So, the person we follow most consistently mm-hmm. is Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Uh, The two people whose character arcs we are most interested in are... Professor X and Mystique. Mm-hmm. And when you say um, we
0: are, you mean the plot.
1: Yes. Yep. Yes. Mystique is maybe more enticing because Professor X we know how it ends up. We know he ends up as uh, huh. Professor X. Mystique we we are trying to change her sort of what happens. Right.
0: Going into this, I was thinking, like, oh, I think Mystique is the protagonist of this movie, going off my memory of it. And then watching it, I was like, oh, she's in 18 minutes of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She's not in this thing. No. So it can't be her. If it's Wolverine, he is once again a protagonist with no agency. Yeah. He is like once again a protagonist not doing anything that he wants to do.
1: Well,. Wolverine also with serves as the audience surrogate in this film. He's the mm, one yeah. who is like reacting to things, who doesn't know things, yeah. uh, who is sort of serving as like being the audience surrogate. Which is I don't know if that makes him definitely not the protagonist. Um, I don't know if that would serve sort of factor into that discussion at all. It but could it be make a Boy.
0: So the question we ask is like who. Makes the change at mm-hmm. the end, and it's McAvoy that's complicit along with who is the protagonist. Yeah, McAvoy makes the choice to not control Mystique. Mm-hmm. He makes the choice to let Mystique make the choice, mm-hmm. which is different than what he had yeah. done before,
2: and is intimately related with like his character arc of the past two movies. Hmm. If we were to say that he is prof- like that, Professor X is the the protagonist. Sure, it's about him becoming the professor because before that he was. Charles, who had, like, a cool idea and wanted to make a school for mutants. But it was, like, his thing. And, like, the truth of, like, being a teacher is, like, giving the students, like, what they need, but not controlling what they do with that. And, like, the moment that he becomes, like, the Professor X that can go on to do all of the things that Professor X does is the moment that he... Let's go of his like if you think of mystique as his first mm. student he says that he raised her which is a really weird yeah like a, in a very like interestingly weird moment not like yeah. a bad weird moment like eric says to him like you didn't raise her you grew up together but he thinks of it as like he raised her and he like taught her and so like if he if she's his first student there's something there about like their relationship being the most important thing of the whole movie And his change in that relationship being the crux of the whole film. So, I don't know. He's the one who has, like, the early third act, like, breakdown of, like, I can't do it. Oh, that's true. You know, and, like, has to seek wisdom from the old wise man, who is, of course, himself in the future. But I don't know. Right. I think there's a strong case for him. He's just not the person who's on screen the most.
0: If we say it's Charles, Mm -hmm. what does he want? This is also kind of complicated because there are two Charles. Well, I, I yes. think it's young Charles. Now, here's something interesting. Charles is also the one who starts this. Like, Charles is the one who comes to them with the plan. Old Charles yeah. is the one who is like, we're going to send him back. We're going to stop it this way. Uh-huh. So he is kind of a different version of him is the impetus oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the desire of this movie. Right. Um, which we've talked about this series having a real problem where the protagonists are frequently not the ones right who want Want the the thing
1: thing. yeah and that kind of ties into the audience surrogate thing because he wants it to be him that goes back as Mm. they mention, and then it ends up being wolverine because uh wolverine's brain can be torn apart more times uh apparently but he likes like the movie that professor x wants to happen is he goes back into james mcavoy's body and Mm. then I guess just is definitively the protagonist Mm -hmm. and tries to fix the thing.
2: I feel like all of these movies have a Wolverine problem. And this might be why we liked first class so much is because he wasn't in it (laughs) because it like solves the Wolverine problem by not having him in it, which you kind of talked about being a superhero superhero movie trope of like the big team movie can't have the most powerful one in it wolverine is a character whose fundamental like power and like the basic thing about him is that he doesn't change like that's his his whole thing is that you can do anything to him and he does not change like the healing ability like puts sure. him right back healing he doesn't character. age he doesn't, doesn't uh-huh. he can't die like all so like all of those things are like It's like, what did Wolverine learn in this movie? He went through, like, he's already an X-Man who cares about the team at the beginning of this movie. He doesn't have to go through that arc. He doesn't really do anything in the last act of this movie.
0: Uh, He does kind of learn restraint and patience. And he becomes, in in a kind of lovely way, he becomes sort of that he does the thing for Professor X that Professor X did to him yeah. at the start of this franchise. Mm-hmm.
1: That is a really
2: nice ago. scene. That is a nice moment. Yeah. This
0: movie does have the most powerful the problem of the superhero movie where they say the most powerful character can't fight. It's not with Wolverine. It's Quicksilver. That's true. There's a scene where Quicksilver solves everything. Yeah. And what was at the time, like, revolutionary, like, at the time, the coolest thing in the world. Still, yeah. really cool.
2: Even though it's completely cribbed from the movie Over the Hedge.
0: And then Quicksilver says, Well. <laughs> That's getting
3: cut. I'm sorry. <laughs> he
0: says, I can't be here for the rest of the plot. Gotta go. <laughs> yeah. Gotta go play some video games. <laughs> because there is nothing that he couldn't stop. And I would love to see him
3: try to yeah, do it. I
1: I honestly thought um cuz at the end uh there's the shot of um Magneto like points all the cameras at him and like mm-hmm. gives the mutant speech and you see Quicksilver reacting to it. And I thought cuz right after that happens everything freezes because Professor X freezes everyone. Oh. And I thought Quicksilver was about it's to like run out like coming back. That would have been
2: so good. Dude, it would have been so cool cuz then he could just snag the helmet. Done. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> problem solved. He doesn't even have to do anything else. He doesn't have to, like, push bullets around. All he has to do is like, just come grab the helmet and, like, be sitting up at the top of the football stadium right. and, like, let Professor X do his thing from there.
0: Mm. Let's talk about Quicksilver. Uh, let's start with how do you guys feel about him in this, played by Evan Peters. So good.
1: Yeah, it was it was good. It was cool. I liked him. So
0: Quicksilver is a character in the comics who is the twin brother... Of Scarlet Witch, Mm -hmm. um, who are both the children of Magneto.
1: Oh, yes. I am excited to talk about this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This was a big thing at the time. Uh So the character of Quicksilver was considered in the legal gray area Uh between what was owned by Fox Uh and what was owned by Marvel Studios. Okay. Because the character of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are mutants, but they are also... Uh, in the the legal argument that marvel studios made more known for being avengers okay than for being x-men but
2: Um, they are the children of an x-man they
0: have done both exactly exactly so the ruling in this because both of the studios wanted to use him Uh simultaneously yeah the ruling was that they could both use him however uh marvel studios couldn't use the word mutant in any of their films and couldn't have any reference to Magneto yeah and Fox couldn't use the word Avenger huh which like they probably were it seems like Marvel Studios was more likely to use mutant (laughs) yeah Fox was to use Avenger
2: especially in this movie that takes place in 1973
0: so that's how we have in this movie Quicksilver and then the year later in Avengers Age of Ultron also Quicksilver played by Aaron Taylor-Johnson is that why he gets
2: killed?
1: Yeah, because there was this was like a big thing that people were talking about, and I remember talking about it at the mm-hmm. time. Those people were like, "Well, how will we have two Quicksilvers? Uh-huh. How could we possibly do that?" And then we we didn't have to do that. Yes,
0: this was the talk of the town at the time. <laughs> I think that like when pictures of them both came out, people were like. This guy in the gray wig <laughs> is not going to do it like nobody believed in this quicksilver. Oh yeah. Um compared to Aaron Taylor-Johnson, but like I think his performance is really good. I think the action scene is just like incredible and they don't do they don't do that in uh, Age of Ultron. They just like have it from the street perspective. You see him. him speed back and forth. Yeah.
2: Which is fun to watch, but let no. me let me just say, I don't remember Quicksilver in that movie or much else about that movie. Whatever the legal battle is, the X-Men deserve to have them because they just used them better.
0: Yeah, there's a little like side reference to Magneto being his father in yeah, this in a very yeah. funny moment where, you see, <laughs> oh, yeah, where they're sure in that. the elevator. I about that. <laughs> And Magneto says, "I can, I can control metal." And he says, "Oh, my mom knew someone like that." And then you see the realization, <laughs> or you see at least like the question mark yeah. Charlie Day mapping out going on in uh, Fazbender's eyes. Also, when we have that little clip of him mm-hmm. watching the news, he's got a little redheaded sister. Yeah. On his Who could be Scarlet Witch? Probably Scarlet Witch. They're not twins in this, but. Yeah. Yeah. Uh He is, okay, so he is a good illustration of this movie trying to have some fun and levity, Mm. which I think is something that was like all over first class and like nowhere in the original X Men. Or in The Wolverine. (laughs) Yeah, like the like dour, like leather and steel of the original X Men. And it's appropriately nowhere in that stuff. Uh Like, the 2023 stuff that is, like, aesthetically and plot-wise a sequel to that OG trilogy is, like, dour and everyone's wearing the horrible leather with the stripes Uh and everyone's sad and miserable. But then when we cut to the 70s stuff Uh that is the first-class sequel... There's the great shot of the lava lamp, and then he's in the waterbed, and it's like funny from the off, yeah, yeah, so I think that that stuff is like I think they do a good job of saying like, what is a sequel to what? like it feels like two movies because it is, right, yeah.
2: what do you think the breakdown is time wise? I would guess, Well, well, what's the movie two fifteen yeah,
0: I would guess it's half an hour twenty twenty three both timelines. 145, 1973. It Hmm. feels
2: like an hour and a half (laughs) of the 2023 (laughs) timeline and like 45 minutes of the... Of the uh, nineteen seventy three, just because that stuff is so much more fun to watch.
0: Watching first class, this is not what you would guess a sequel to it would be. No,
2: yeah, no. I know that our buddy,
0: God, we miss him, Matthew Vaughn, uh-huh. was set to return to do this movie, mm. and he was really pumped about it. He had he had like a quote where he was like. The first movie, you got to do all the labor to set everything up. But the second one, you just got to have fun. Like, Uh I'm ready to make my Dark Knight. The Batman Begins, I made. And then he left to do Kingsman, uh, Uh. which comes out the following year, which he said was a really hard decision. But he was like, I wonder how much of it goes to his mantra that we talked about two weeks ago of, like, wanting to be the guy... Who comes in when the chips are down and audiences have low expectations mm. and like not being comfortable being the guy making the highly anticipated sequel? Oh, wow, yeah. Especially since critically, the Kingsman sequel also isn't as beloved as the first one. So he like did some work. I know he and his writing partner, Jane Goldman, get a story credit on this. Hmm. Um, but I know they were not doing any of the. Like it was just a sequel to first class. Hmm. It was set in nineteen seventy three. It was going to heavily involve the Kennedy assassination and the Vietnam War. Uh, oh, we got it <laughs> We got JFK's a, JFK's a mutant. JFK is a mutant. He left. They brought Singer back, which is like clearly the thing they needed to do this whole time was not ask Singer to come back because if you remember, uh-huh. every mm-hmm. single movie since X2, it's almost like he has like a right of refusal. Like they would always come to him first for every single movie, mm-hmm. without exception. The first person they ask is Brian Singer, and then when he says no, they asked everyone else. And this time they were just like, "It's Matthew Vaughn's movie. He's going to do it." Then he dropped out, and then Brian Singer's like, "Yeah, I'll come back." <laughs> Fox signed Simon Kinberg to write this movie and a film that comes out the following year, fantastic four.
3: Huh.
0: And they were so bullish about these two films that they signed him to like a, like multi-year contract to plot out their whole cinematic universe. And like, as this came out, they also depicted the slate Which was that they were going to do... After these movies, they were going to do X-Men Apocalypse. okay, And they dated all of these movies. X-Men Apocalypse, Fantastic Four 2, X-Men 2018, which was going to be another sequel. And then it was all going to lead to a gigantic event movie that was X-Men Fantastic Fantastic Four coming together.
2: Oh, cool.
0: And that was like what they... At this time, they were like, that's what everything's building towards. We've, like, got our ducks in a row. We've got the man who's going to lead the mm-hmm. franchise, which is Simon Kinberg. And Boy. <laughs> <I> mean, that <laughs> fell apart, huh? And then, then well, and then Fantastic
3: out. Four
2: comes out the next year.
0: Wow. But this is the era of, like, every studio is trying to do the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they mm-hmm. all put out the dates. Is this when we get the the Dark Universe? Yeah, this is where we have the Dark Universe, and they put out that famous picture Of, like, Tom Cruise and Johnny Depp and Benicio Del Toro all sitting in a room. Russell Crowe for all those movies that were never going to be made. Wait. For what? For the the dark universe. The dark universe. The cinematic universe that kicked off with
2: The Mummy. And and what else? Never had another film. Okay.
0: (laughs) This is where we get, which we're still getting the ends of you know the monster universe with godzilla and Kong oh, of island all yeah. building up to godzilla versus kong this is where uh dc comics who have just put out man of steel put out this like 12 page oh, list yes. of how we're gonna get green lantern core and we're gonna get the cyborg movie and we're gonna get justice league part one and part two has any of that panned some of it did but not it most became of it. very
1: different from mm what it was going to be
2: but marvel the mcu followed through on almost all of it they put out at this yeah and it
0: happened because the mcu would do it the mcu works in phases Uh so they at the start of a new phase will say like these are all the movies we have coming in the dates." yeah it's always like a huge event yeah um and so since they had successfully done that Mm -hmm. everyone else was like we got to do it too there is another cut of this movie. We should just briefly mention oh, this. Oh, yeah. Brian watched-
1: Singer's X-Men Days of Future Past. <laughs> we watch- to be re- we released, released on HBO Max. Cuts.
0: <laughs> we watched um, the theatrical version, which is on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> there is a version called the Rogue Cut, mm-hmm. which is yeah. 20 minutes longer. I've seen it. And the big differences are in the 2023 timeline, after she gets cut, Kitty Pride can't like continue to do it. We see like uh, one clip of this plot line, which is where Bobby comes to the professor and he's like, she's going to die like we can't keep doing this. So what happens is they go and rescue Rogue, who is being held captive at the X mansion uh, and Bobby dies saving her. And then Rogue goes, takes on the power of Kitty Pride, and does the rest of the
1: work for Kitty. Oh, I as, think that's the version I watched as a kid, actually.
0: Yeah, that is the the one time I watched that was with you. The one time I watched the kid. Okay. And then in the 1973 timeline, after the airport scene, Mystique comes and visits the mansion and sleeps with Beast, rekindling their romance from the previous mm. movie, and destroys Cerebro... So that Professor X can't stop her from there, which is why they have to go in person to... Interesting. It helps with plot stuff and it gives you more characters. In my opinion, what you get isn't worth having to spend 20 more minutes watching the movie. But it is, like, interesting stuff. Hmm. This film does pass the Bechdel test. It is, like, almost all of these films in one scene very briefly mm-hmm. it's the scene where mystique and a nurse speak to each other yeah it is par for the course pretty much with these movies other than first class where it's like you just get it for a minute the, i was also reminded that first class set up mystique is being defined by every single male character in her last moment on screen where i was like oh yeah she's dated all of these <laughs> dudes where she's giving like sad longing Looks before she limps away. Yeah. I was like, "Oh yeah, she's got to look at the professor, then Beast, <laughs> then Magneto, then walk away," because yeah. she has a romance
2: with all of them. Mm-hmm. Also, where the hell is Moria McTaggart? Yeah, that's a good oh, question. She's, she's a, a great she's big question. part of. First she's class. a big part of first class and feels like a teased plot line or like future. So like some sort of. Future character. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, she forgets everything at the end.
3: Oh, oh yeah, yeah.
1: You're right. Just do
2: that. But she's still a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, isn't she?
1: Or not uh, S.H.I.E.L.D.? Not Sorry, Shield. that's copyrighted. CIA. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, no. She was cool. Would have yeah. liked her being in this movie.
0: Let's just we, run through the performances. Okay. Oh, okay. To see if there's anything we want to talk about. Uh, we've okay. got Hugh Jackman. Great. Miss Wolverine. Good. Super yeah. good. Really good in this. Really good. Uh, McAvoy and Stewart,
1: respectively. Both great. Also really good. It's interesting seeing both performances in this movie to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, both with um, uh, with Stewart and McKellen. Because both of them, their acting is just kind of like looking like cool old dudes. <laughs> like you just kind of see them and you, is, your brain assumes that they've like been through a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Where, like, like when when the world is ending around them, they just kind of, like, raise their eyebrows and look around. Uh-huh. But when the world is ending around, like, James McAvoy, he, like, freaks out and, like, does a ton of stuff. Um, and it was so interesting seeing, like, old dudes in costumes just kind of, like, being there and sort of looking regal. And then, like, the younger counterparts sort of freaking out. Which I guess is, like, maybe just how getting older works Hmm. um i love the scene they get together yeah that that
0: is kind of like the heart and soul of the movie to me that is
2: really good i love the moment between ian mckellen and patrick stewart where he says all those all those years oh my god like fighting against each other if we yeah, a few of them back. Yeah,
3: yeah. It's the like, part
1: when they um, right after that, where they kiss and admit that they've been in love with each other, was the, my favorite part. That of the movie. part,
2: that I was really like, wow, they were really swinging for the fences there. Yeah,
1: they finally admitted it. This was
0: probably my headcanon but um, there's a moment where Wolverine says to Charles when he first meets him, "I was sent back by you and Eric together." <laughs> And there's a look in McAvoy's eyes, which conveys to me that he is wondering if his dreams
2: have come true or not. Yeah, I think that, like, continuing on from first class, Uh that relationship is still very much alive between the two of them yeah it's interesting he like, like, yeah. has
0: like so much he's been hurt so much he has
1: but yeah, I think the, the scene,
2: relationship like the scene on the plane is oh. so good oh man
1: and we the get name? them playing chess also. we do get them playing well chess. not playing chess we get right. them the offer of chess yeah. <laughs> is made
0: the plane scene is incredible.
1: It is. That's
0: why I think I think this movie has both performances and scenes that are like punching above its weight.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The naming of the X Men dead is really powerful in that scene too. Like mm-hmm. here, are the people that we've oh, lost. Yeah, which is like it was handled differently would feel like kind of clunky, but it just feels so like powerful. And-
1: yeah, because especially coming off of, I mean, this is that thing of the emotional weight comes from having seen the previous movies Mm -hmm. but like knowing all of those as characters Like you've seen those people grow and just sort of thinking of all of those like they're people that are dead they're not Mm -hmm. names that are dead yeah
0: yeah fassbender in particular has uh less to do than in first class But I do think that scene really reminds you of, like, his whole thing. Like, his character's whole thing.
1: Mm -hmm. I love the, um, just, like, the humor and the sass that Magneto has. Yeah. With, like, the way, like, him walking in with the two marbles Mm -hmm. and using those to take down all the guards. Uh, Just the, like, fun little little Magneto-isms.
0: Mystique, Jennifer Lawrence wild to me as we said before that they even got her to do this movie but i wonder if that's why she's like in it so much less than everyone else Mm. and also is in blue makeup like much less than in the previous yeah that's true okay zane who is
1: your most valuable player other than wolverine in this movie james mcavoy say say him he does a good job. I do. It was compelling for me to see him so distraught because I saw him so optimistic in the last movie, which I watched last night or two nights ago, which I guess is a point towards being able to act both roles and being able mm-hmm. to act both convincingly. So I think, yeah, I think I'm comfortable with that decision. I'm MVP MVPOTW is Mystique, 100%. I think she's... Wow.
2: Interesting. Yeah, I like... She's, you were
0: a little tepid on her performance in First Class.
2: I was. I was. And I love Jennifer Lawrence, Mm -hmm. too, like, in general, in general terms, especially in The Hunger Games, which is what she's, the other thing that she's in, like, right around this time. I like her plot in this movie. I like what she's doing. I think, Mm -hmm. we didn't talk about this, but I think all the the parts where it cuts to Super 8 footage. Oh, yeah. The found footage stuff is is awesome. Is like, really cool, and there's a lot of her in those that's really cool, and I think... Like, ultimately, she's the one who makes the decision at the end that saves them all. She's not... I don't think she's in it enough or, like, does enough to be the protagonist, but she is the one who, like, saves everyone by deciding deciding not to kill Trask. And she also gets to impersonate Richard Nixon, who's also in this movie that we haven't talked about. We don't really need to, but just... That's awesome. She's doing mystique things, but she's doing them better than happens in a lot of the other movies, I feel like. And for once... If she's not, like, a hero, she's at least, like, an, when she's in it, she's an active character doing yeah. things. She shoots Magneto. She shoots Magneto in the throat. Oh, that is vicious. Is I forgot. She's brutal. That. Brutal. She stabs him in the throat, or, like, starts to stab him in the throat yeah. earlier. She chokes out a man with her foot. She does that. Yeah. She, like, has a, the weird seduction scene with the North
1: Vietnamese general. On your choice of her as your MVP, uh, that scene of her and James McAvoy and Professor X, when she's in the airport and she's, like, talking um, yeah. to all the different people, that was really cool oh, for that's me. such a cool scene. Yeah. But it was a really but, like, cool scene. And
2: there's, like, a, a certain paranoia about this movie that's interesting. It's not, like, always there, but it's there in that scene. It's there in, like, the whole paranoia about, like, yeah. the... Like the reason behind getting the Sentinels and like, that's to go off the Nixon thing. That is like the whole thing of the Nixon presidency is about paranoia. So it's like a theme. It's not like heavy, but it's in there. And that is
1: what leads directly to the Sentinels. Yeah. It's paranoia about the mutants. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That is, that is interesting. Wade,
3: who who is your MVP MVP OTW? OTW? All
0: right. I think there are tears to the good performances (laughs) There are three people in Tier 1 and three people in Tier 2, so I'm going to start with Tier 2. <laughs> are you,
3: tier 2 is are there Fassbender, that many characters uh-huh, in this who's movie. great
0: in this but doesn't have a lot to do. Uh-huh. Tier 2 is... um,
1: Quicksilver? See,
0: Yes, that's it. It's Fastbender, it's Quicksilver, and it's Kelsey Grammer for the one line as Beast. (laughs) Tier 2. And all
1: of those guys do so good.
0: Tier 1 is McAvoy, who would have been my pick. He was picked before, as he should be picked first for this movie. He should have won the Oscar for this movie. Oh,
1: are these exclusive? I didn't realize we couldn't pick other people. That's right. Yeah. I understand.
0: Then Jackman, who obviously is excluded Mm. by the thing, but I do love his performance. The third one... And my pick for TW, is Peter Dinklage, mm. Mm. who's so great in this. Yeah. He
1: is so yeah, cool. Yeah.
0: He's so cool, and he's so reserved, and he gets a wide range of emotions. He has an interesting motivation that we hear in one scene. He has, like, interesting, like, the way his plot is threaded throughout the rest of the story is interesting for a villain. And his performance is, like, so caring and tender and insidious. You see, like, why it works.
2: There's also something to it of, like, maybe being the first villain that they don't wind up in a punching fight with. Yeah. In the whole series. Or, like, some version of that thing.
0: The stadium fit is so cool. Yeah, really and cool. still looks good. The two sequences that I remember loving, the Quicksilver scene in the stadium, both look good. There's um, the opening doesn't look good to me and pulling the black box out of the White House <laughs> does not look good to me. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, yeah. it is. The stadium is so cool, too. I audibly exclaimed when this happened because you see him in the the stadium and you're like, "What? what is going on? Why is Magneter here? Because also he he's like with the team and then he kind of goes off on his own and you don't, as the yeah. viewer, you don't really, you're not tracking, you're just seeing things. Um, and you see him lift up the stadium and you're like, whoa, this feels real, but like what's going on? And then he drops it around the White House uh-huh. as the border. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which is insane. So That's cool.
0: also a cool thing continuing his arc from First Class of like getting more and more powerful and, yeah. um, and tapping into different sides of himself.
1: He is
2: so powerful. <laughs>
0: I also like the blink power of the portals. So that cool. stuff is really oh, cool. Oh yeah, I almost, and used
2: so well. She almost was my MVP. Yeah, like she she was very close. If she'd had a line, I think <laughs> yeah. I think I think she could have. Like she really could have taken it. But yeah, those guys are pretty
1: cool. much cannon
0: fodder. But Bishop is like looks cool and does have a bunch of lines. He yeah. definitely has more lines than Storm. <laughs> by, uh, by uh, a don't. large amount.
2: Yes. Mm. Just give us a storm movie. Like, forget this. Give us a storm movie where it's about storm. Okay, I I've solved like a problem for the MCU and for the X Men series okay. and like how you tie everything together. Mm-hmm. So we've lost Chadwick Boseman as the Black Panther. Storm is in the comics at some point the, the queen of the, the queen Wakanda. of Wakanda, right? And is married to Black Panther, but Black Panther is just whoever like holds that power right right because like chadwick boseman's dad was the the black panther Panther. Panther before yes so we introduce a new black panther um who somehow tied into that line as cousin or brother or something to that character with storm all of a sudden you have that movie of like a storm black panther movie Mm. and then you bring in the x-men at the end of that movie bring them into the mcu boom done you you get a good movie for Halle Berry as Storm you figure out how to bring in a new Black Panther in a way that isn't burying Chadwick Boseman's legacy it's like acknowledging that instead of like trying to recast that sure yeah uh, and then I don't know I feel like there's I feel like there's some there's something sounds like the perfect storm to me
0: Zane any final thoughts on X-Men Days of
1: Future Past it wasn't as cool as I remembered it being. I, agree. I I think that like stood out a lot. I wouldn't call my experience of watching it disappointing necessarily, because um, there was lots of cool stuff as we've discussed, like lots of isolated really great things. But it was I don't know less exciting for me going back to it. I think um, a brief comment on on the score um Mm -hmm. because i we haven't talked about it i liked the score i thought it was cool i thought it was less interesting than the first class score first class has a lot of like cool sort of interesting almost rock beats in the background Mm -hmm. um in the big montage scenes this was like all very industrial sounds um which was cool and was really effective in a lot of the parts this also has the the choir which i don't think we get in first class um very briefly mm. in towards the end they like start doing the the choir starts like singing in the score which was cool um just because we don't get that all the time but yeah i thought it was like it was cool it was effective it felt maybe more similar i guess and this guy the guy who scored the scored x2 you mm-hmm. said mm-hmm. yeah it did feel like a movie that is supporting that leather and steel aesthetic mm-hmm. because it is a industrial like industrial music it is that genre but yeah overall i guess final thoughts i like liked it it was still cool i think if you were to describe this movie to someone like in a sentence rather than like an hour and a half podcast if uh if you were to describe this movie to someone, the description of it would maybe be cooler than the movie
0: i've lost all <laughs> i've, I've <laughs> lost the plot on this one completely it's hard to it's hard to overstate how mind blowing the twist was at the time that uh-huh. is true this is like this is the movie. That made me care about the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because at the time... Okay, so we said this movie was like critically acclaimed. The On the critic side, the complaints about it for people who didn't like it was just that it was like taking on too much.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Which is, I think, a valid criticism. But I remember there was a lot of fan reaction where fans were like, they erased all of the movies. Like... This has been for nothing. Like, I'm oh, upset about it. Which is interesting because my reaction now and then is like, it finally means something. <laughs> yeah. Like, finally all the time I spent watching these <laughs> god-awful movies is for something. Yeah. It's like resulted in a story that ties things together and cares.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think also, so not to overstay my welcome on final thoughts, because maybe a theme of this podcast is like, how do we interact with these movies, like uh-huh. with the question of morality and Brian singer and mm-hmm. just the movies in general, and I think part of why this movie is disappointing to me now is because when I first saw it, it was the first time I had kind of imagined seeing something that like comic book event e hmm. in a movie, like something about time travel and about multiple uh timelines. And like it felt like crisis, or like some mm-hmm. like a big comic book crossover event, but one that was distinctly comic booky. Like that was crazy for me. And now coming back to it, we're coming after uh, after seeing Avengers: Endgame, and after seeing Crisis on uh, Infinite Earths, which is sort of similar in scope. Uh, and like we're just coming in a world that has that like mm-hmm. post. All of those things, even
0: Spider Verse.
1: Yeah, Spider Verse, um, mm-hmm. incredible movie. And I think like the thing, like I, that's just it, the way that we see this movie is also kind of the way we see the X Men movies. Is like it's sort of set up doing that thing in a way that was cool because it did the thing, and then later other movies and mediums do the same thing, but in a way that's like objectively better. Mm -hmm. Um, They take the premise and then kind of run with it.
0: I mean, any final thoughts?
1: Got a couple, just, just a couple. Okay. Okay. Um, the body
2: count for this is 16, which is a markedly like smaller number than the past couple, which I think are in the Mm. thirties or forties. Um, and that's not even considering the fact that most of those 16 deaths are the same five people getting getting got like getting got over and over again and that all of those deaths get erased at the end i think there's only a couple of people who actually die in this movie and wolverine has that awful part where the uh the things go through him which is like body horror to the max dude Uh, but didn't like that so there's there's a thought Other than that, I think this movie holds up like about like the others do. (laughs) It's like, yeah, like cool moments, like parts of it, the parts of it that I remember liking, I still like the parts of it that I either don't remember or remember not liking. I'm still like nah. about there's nothing in this that is like that I hate. So that's good. My last thought on this is kind of related is earlier today, somebody came into the place that I work and was like, and they
1: said, hi, I'm from the future. I they
2: said, hello, I've been sent by a future version of you to come and tell you, uh, not quit, to your do job. It, quit your job don't you do this podcast Uh no I've been I was this podcast leads to the, meant,
0: it's the podcast am I too early <laughs> well, that's a Batman v Superman joke Andy
2: um, well <laughs> uh, no. uh so they came in and they said I am 100% certain That language is a complex system made up of signs uh, and signifiers and signified, but that those two things are like completely inseparable and do not exist outside of each other. I'm 100% certain. And I said, okay, interesting, but what makes you so sure?
1: You are now also fired from this podcast. I'm now the only one getting the check from Fox. Please exit my house.
2: Please exit the continuity condo now. Your free trial of Cinema Bombs has ended.
0: Please insert $30
2: $30 to continue. Join us next week when we talk about the best movie in the X-Men franchise, Deadpool.
0: And then are you going to ask me if I have any final thoughts? Oh, uh,
2: Wait, do you have any final thoughts? No. Zane, thank you so much for
3: being here.
0: Do you have um, any projects you want to plug? Any, any place that people can find you?
1: Uh, yeah, lots of stuff. Well, I, I make... Music is the thing that I do. Um, so I, I have a band, uh, Caffeine Daydream, and uh, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, and then our music's on like Spotify and Apple Music and everything. Um, so following us on all of those is really helpful. I have um, a band camp, uh, which is just Holloman.bandcamp.com and that's a lot of sort of smaller solo stuff um my first record is on there my first solo record the music for this podcast is on there uh and i am working on writing my second record which will also be on spotify when it comes out but yeah those are sort of the two major things uh where i put out my music i also have just like my own personal instagram which i announce a lot of music and stuff i'm working on which is a complicated handle but you can just look up zane holloman and find it uh but yeah those are i think those are the big places um following me and my band helps a ton and um just like whatever music i i have out at the time
0: awesome cool well emmet we've um now reached the halfway mark yeah in this series this is film seven of 13 mm-hmm. um i also want to note that the This franchise lasted 20 years. Mm -hmm. The first seven films in it come Mm -hmm. out across 14 years. Mm -hmm. And the next six films come out across four years. Okay. Because the next one isn't until 2016. Uh, No film in 2015. But uh, next week we'll be back talking about Deadpool. Mm -hmm. Very excited about that. And Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you have an excellent year.
2: Stay frosted.
0: (laughs) Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Emma Temple and me, Wade Lawrence Holloman. I also edit and mix the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp. And our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear. Please tell all your friends, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums, or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week.